Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Grass Track Banter podcast. My name is Gareth Bemister, your host and your guide through the wonderful world of grass track racing. It's a funny old time at the moment, still no racing. Uh, but joining me as ever is uh, 250 rider Ben Ilsley. How you doing, Ben? Evening, Gareth. Not too bad, mate. Yeah, all good. All good. And uh, also joining me, another 250 rider, Wimble Whopper champion, Russell Little. How you doing, Russ? Good evening, Gareth. Yeah, I'm doing good. Thank you. Yourself? Yeah, getting there, mate. Getting there. And finally, poster producing guru, Mr. Fixturelist himself, it's Luke Russell. How you doing, Luke? Yeah, all good. Thanks, Gareth. Great. Now then, we're all together again. We're still waiting for the racing season. There's all sorts of things been going on this week. We had uh, Russell's wife's been cutting his hair this week, and I don't know... I don't know what, what's our verdict on that. How did, you, how did it go, Russ? Must have been a nervous time. It was, yeah. She used to do it a few years ago. Um, oh, so she's just, got she's got form. Yeah, there's a bit of history there. Yeah, no, she used to do it a few years ago. <laughs> oh dear. Um, and it used to take quite a while, but it wasn't too bad. But um, he obviously needs must at the moment, and it was getting a bit out of control, wasn't it? So uh, <laughs> a, a bit of the bullet, so to speak. And. Yeah. Yeah, it took her a good half hour, 40 minutes, I reckon. But yeah, it turned out okay, I think, didn't it? Not too bad. Decent job by Mrs. L, I reckon. But uh, of course, Ben, you got yours chopped a few weeks ago. You must be due for another one. Well, it has grown back. I was a bit worried, actually, because it's been a bit of a while since I've um, scalped myself like I did. But yeah, <laughs> it's very much a DIY job in this household. Yeah, there's lots of, uh, lots of well, suffering, I was going to say. But, you know, I, I haven't gone quite oh. as far as to cut my own hair yet, so... Uh, maybe I don't know if Luke's have you had your hair cut yet Luke <laughs> no I think I've probably got the uh, fullest head of hair at the moment out of the four of us so uh, yeah. it's going to stay that way for the time being first time for everything I suppose <laughs> yeah yeah no I've uh, not had a cut I, I was contemplating it but um, now I'll just carry on as I am and enter the racing season with dreadlocks yeah it's probably uh, <laughs> yeah, new Danny Warwick it's probably the best for the best that we're not being seen in public at the moment then, given the fact that we've got our homemade haircuts and or not haircuts. So uh, we're still not racing, still waiting to see what happens. We have got a little bit of news on that this week, um, but obviously lots of people getting very frustrated uh, with not being able to race their motorbikes. And we'll talk a little bit about that in the news, I think, because uh, it's really dominated our conversations. And I'm sure that those of you listening, it's dominated your conversations as well, just when we're going to actually get back and start racing. Uh, but one person that we did, well, it wasn't really correspondence, but it's somebody that we've uh, used on the show before, Andy Driver. He uh, he posted something in on the Grass Track Banter Facebook group, and we all sort of saw it, and it it made a lot of sense. So I just want to share a bit of that with you now. So Andy uh, was was he was responding to Graham Hurry talking about what's going to happen when we get racing, and he said that he's. Uh, he's put, I thought for a couple of weeks that running any meetings this season was always going to be a long shot and he talked about if you remember back at episode 11 he talked about club grass track being the way forward if we do anything this year and he's had a read of the ACU uh, COVID-19 risk assessment and he's not he says he's not comfortable running a meeting in 2020 that's his personal view that's not the view of his club the Fire and Cycle Association um, I think he thinks it should be null and void the season uh, with all clubs running 2020 championships to be invited to run them in 2021. Uh, qualifiers for this year's championship should also be carried over to 2021. And if, uh, and it's a big if, any clubs get to run anything in 2020, it should be non-championships and non-grading points events. Um, very disappointing for riders, obviously, and he points that out, but uh, we need to make sure everyone's safe in the grass track family. So lots of interesting points there, Ben. 
and sort of we picked up on that and agreed on a lot of what Andy was saying. Yeah, it was hard to disagree with anything. Um, Andy speaks a lot of sense, and I think common sense really has to prevail, doesn't it? It, it makes sense, especially with sort of championship type event carry over the grade and list from 2019, as it were, uh, into 2021, and pick it up again from there. And then, like like you say, if we can get any events on the latter part of this year, then then they should be sort of open type meetings. I think without a tag or a title to it, like uh, like Andy says, really. Yeah, and it's something that's uh, that you guys have been looking at a bit today, actually. And lots of times we've we sort of to begin with when this all started, we talked about the Masters and things like that. And then Andy pointed out to us, well, really, it's club grass track we should should be thinking about. But recently, we've been thinking more about practice days. And something that I know that you guys have been looking at today is is the potential for practice days. And um, I'll just come to you again, Ben, because you sort of shared something with us about a few speedway tracks. Yeah, I was just sort of comparing the two sports, really, and, and how speedway is adapting to yeah current circumstances versus grass track. And I think one of the things that's clear is that those those venues or um, those clubs that have a permanent venue, like a speedway track, are starting now to, to open their doors for private track hires. It's quite interesting to read, really, the way that the organisation is going apart about um, sort of a maximum of 10 riders supported with um, one guest per vehicle um, with full social distancing measures taking place. Um, yeah, just interesting to see how the how the two sports are adapting, and I think what's clear is Speedway are able to do that in a much um, easier format on the basis that there's a track there ready to go. Yeah, and I know you've sort of entered into a conversation on Grass Track Banter about this and the the potential pitfalls of what where Grass Track suffers really. Getting the track up was one part of it, but trying to run a Grass Track with social distancing and everything else and abiding by the AC risk assessment, it just seems it seems to be quite a stretch at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really agree or disagree with anything that's been put out there at the moment. I think we just need to follow the measures that are in place. Relating it to grass track, it is a bit more of a uh, a bit more of a challenge because looking at the two, there seems to be a need for medical personnel, which mirrors that of a of an open to centre meeting, whereby you need a paramedic, uh, an ambulance for and um, for medical personnel. Um, where Speedway seems to be a little bit different in the sense that it can take place without a paramedic at riders' own risks. Some riders will feel a little bit uneasy about that, but that's that's been the norm, really, with, with the Speedway. So there's a trained first aider on site and backed up with support from a response ambulance, a county ambulance. So again, some people may feel a little bit uneasy about uh, unnecessary burden or strain on, on an NHS facilities, but... Going back to my point, I think the financial burden of having to pay out for paramedics could be the reason why clubs may not be in a position to financially run a, a practice event. Yeah, and we sort of mentioned that before. It's it, it's not something that you could just run behind closed doors. There's just not the money involved uh, to cover the costs, I don't think. So so we're still in that situation, really. But again, we'll sort of catch up a little bit in the news in a second on that. But that's been what's sort of going on off the back of what Andy said. And there's a little bit more information on Grass Track Banter. I'm sure most of you have, have read it already. Uh, but moving away from, from uh, coronavirus, thank God. Uh, somebody who has contacted us before, who's an avid listener, who wishes to remain anonymous. Uh, he's sort of got in touch and emailed again. And he was coming back to something we were talking about 
um, apparently in the Grass is Greener segment several uh, several episodes ago. He thinks that there's too many restrictions uh, on rules and regulations now. Now, I know we've talked a little bit about uh, the GT140s and we all fear a little bit that unless the regulations are put in place, that will get out of hand and people will start spending lots of money. Uh, but Russell, you're going to have to help me out on a lot of this because there's a lot of technical stuff coming up um, and you know what my technical know-how's like. So uh, one thing they say is uh, I always I always think with Grass Track now is that it's got too many restrictions. Like I know with the 250, 350 and 500 solar classes, the engines are limited to a 34mm carb. Back when his dad rode, people used to have 40mm carbs on the 250, let alone on the 500. Um, when discussing this with my dad, he said that there was other people who rode at the same time. They reckon that 34mm carb's way too small for a 500 solo. Now, that means nothing to me, Russ, so you're going to have to educate me a little bit. Uh, yeah, Gareth. So uh, when you talk about the size of the carb, you're talking about the um, the bore of the carb, i.e. the intake of air. Uh, once it's passed through the air filter, you're limiting the amount of air uh, or restricting the amount of air that can get into the carb. Okay. So the, what what they're getting at is that these restrictions, there's lots of restrictions on carbs, which I'm, I know that you guys are aware, are aware of, um, but he thinks that there shouldn't be a, a restriction on carbs. It should just, just be down to the engine size and use whatever carb you want. He says that less restrictions could inspire more riders to be more creative with what they do with their engines. So, yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Russ? Yeah, no, I agree with that totally. Obviously, like you say, obviously me and Ben compete in the, uh, the 250 class. Um, Obviously, Ben's limited to to a 30 more, 34 mil carb uh, for his uh, 250 Jower. I believe that's correct. Um, whereas I don't think there's anything actually in the rules that, that stops me running sort of anything I want, really, on, on my uh, motocross engine KTM. Um, so you could say there's, that's, that's a bit unfair. Yeah. I mean, again, it's sort of it's up for debate, really. But he's um, he said another thing with restrictions is that he doesn't agree with the fact that you can't ride a 252 stroke in the youth class. Now, I think that you guys have spoke about this before. Uh, with the youth 250 class, I think as long as it's a 250, it shouldn't matter what engine it is or what you do to the engine. And yeah, he, he believes that's one of the reasons you don't see many two-strokes anymore. Yeah, we, we touched on this quite a few episodes ago, Gareth. Um, so, yeah, I, I looked into it and the old rules in the motocross uh, when the four-strokes first come along uh, the four-stroke, obviously, Honda, Kawasaki's, etc., um, was that you could only ride a 125 two-stroke with a, a 250F four-stroke and a 252 stroke with a 450 four-stroke. Um, the rules around that have now changed where you can ride a 250 with the 250 four-strokes, two-strokes and four-strokes. Right. Um, because the four-strokes... Uh, obviously put out a fair bit of power as it is and that's that's acu events as well uh acu british motocross championship um so yeah i don't really see why you can't i don't see a reason why you couldn't ride a 252 stroke in the youth because obviously you can ride the 254 stroke engine the kawasaki's uh, yeah. yamaha's etc um whether or not it would then bring more back into the sport the two strokes not quite convinced on that myself though obviously they are cheaper to run obviously the further you want to go in the sport really you want to be on a jail gm as early as possible and um they're obviously a fair bit easier to ride as well and we've seen that uh the two-stroke 250 is not well it's not as quick as the jail the jrms is it like it's not as competitive 
anymore. It, it swings and roundabouts, really. Gareth, me and Ben have had some really good battles the last couple of years. Um, it, it depends, totally depends on, on the track and who's riding the bikes on the day. Yeah, well, I suppose if you're a 15-year-old youngster, you're going to want to ride what Ty Woffenden, something that looks a bit like what Ty Woffenden's on, and I suppose that naturally they're going to go to the JRM, so I guess that's... Yeah, and obviously as well, if you want to compete on the continent um, at that age, um, you can only compete in the uh, Youth 250 World title on a, on a JR or GM. You can't, you can't compete in the Youth World title on, a, on an MX engine, as far as I'm aware. No, no. Well, interesting, interesting points from the anonymous uh, person. He's, he's often comes up with some good technical things, and obviously I'm a bit lost, but uh, Russell and Ben can help me out. Luke, probably a little bit less, so he's a bit more like me, really, but uh, at least he knows how to, I don't know, prepare a bike to a certain degree, don't you, Luke? You've been um, pit biking. <laughs> no comment. No comment. <laughs> well, we'll he leave that. a good poster. Yeah, he certainly does. We'll leave that to Ben and Russell anyway, but... One other person that got in touch with me uh, last week is uh, Paul Standing. Um, many of you will know Paul Standing is uh, well right-hand sidecar driver now, but for many years he was involved in the um, well, sort of drag racing, I think it is, you know, the Brighton drags and things like that. Uh, but he's been trying to get this um, this new sidecar class for the 80s to 95 category off the ground. Uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about what Paul said. Uh, when we come to our grass is greener section later, because he's got some really good points uh, that we're going to sort of discuss. But uh, basically, he's at the moment trying to get this this sort of 80s to 90s sidecar class off the ground. But I know when we spoke about it before, Luke, we were just immediately concerned that it was another class, weren't we? Yeah, no, I've, I've had conversations with uh, Paul a good few years ago now and almost yearly now about getting different classes and B classes and all sorts involved um yeah and that's kind of what he was sort of getting at but we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more in the uh the grass is greenish segment coming up because it is a very interesting point and something that's very important with grass track um we've got another quiz coming up on uh, this is my way of asking luke to do the poster this is so <laughs> we've got another, another quiz coming up on saturday so i've started to write the questions for it today uh i promised the uh youth riders that there'd be a youth round a pure youth round next time i've also been sent some anagrams but if between now and saturday you come up with some questions or you come up with a really good idea for a round make sure you send them to us grassstrap banter podcast outlook.com because well my ideas are drying up a little bit so i'm trying struggling a little bit but i'm sure i can put something together for saturday to get us all together so make sure you get onto the facebook group at around eight o'clock uh, on saturday and we'll have our third is it our third or fourth now i've lost count can't think third quiz i think maybe no one's helping me out okay fourth <laughs> no it'd be the, no, it's the, no it'd be the fourth quiz one, isn't it? it's yeah, the third it's the fourth one you third had... one fourth one yeah. <laughs> fourth one is it fourth yeah it's the fourth you had one with the door one with the curtains and then one with everything <laughs> backwards it's that how they remembered <laughs> that's that's how to remember it <laughs> yeah yeah oh and if that's not enticed you to come and join us for the uh, saturday night uh, virtual beer tent quiz i don't know what will you can come and look at my curtains look at my door and then the third one was where i was stuck in my spare room because my ipad and my laptop packed up another thing we've been doing uh well luke's been doing is the wallpaper wednesday luke yeah um it was something russ come up with in the chat saying it was quite popular and i've seen it posted all around different motorsports where every wednesday they put a load of photos up so seems uh seems popular we've got um Kelston Delaney uh, sending us a load of photos to use as well. So uh, I've got those ready to go up 
uh, on Wednesday, and I'll keep doing those all the time. People, uh, people are enjoying them and and downloading them. Yeah, so that's definitely something to look out for on the Grassstrap Banter uh, Facebook group. Um, one thing that we did today, actually, that I was just going to talk about quickly. I know that Ben was having a look at this. We uh, recently the the 1994 Ace of Aces appeared on the uh, on YouTube, and uh, if you haven't caught that yet. It, you've got to get on YouTube and have a look at this 94 Ace of Aces. I could not believe, I mean, I've seen it before and I've got really good memories of it, but I couldn't believe that they carried on in those conditions. I mean, I know that Ben, you watched a little bit of it today, didn't you? And it's just, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It blew my mind a little bit. Just seeing um, people struggling to walk in the pits and riders being towed in the field. I think if we ever got to that stage of grass track now, um, we would have already been sort of being towed out the field, let alone riding in it. But, um, the conditions were absolutely horrendous, but the riders were still flat chat <laughs> in the corners. Unbelievable, really. Yeah, it, was, it really was. I mean, the, there's sort of puddles all around the track, and the riders are, you know, there's eight on the line, and they're going into the corner. The first couple are getting through, and then the rest of them are sort of pulling up. Uh, but a couple of things that struck me is it's raining. They're struggling to get the meeting on. They still run the barn record. <laughs> they didn't stra- scrap the barn record. They did scrap the parade. Uh, but then they wanted to run the finals. I realised that there were seven outfits all in the sort of top six positions for the final. So they ran a, um, a runoff as well before the finals. Like, there was no urgency at all, really. But I don't think they'd have that anymore. But they did only run the two legs. But if you haven't caught that yet, it's, and you sort of aren't aware of what happened at the 94 Ace of Aces, it really was something else. Uh, I know that Luke had a look. And you obviously weren't involved in the sport back then, Luke. But you had a quick look. What was your impressions when you first looked? Um, I think I I just flicked through bits and pieces and I think I went to the uh, the Starcar finals. I think you mentioned there was a crash in it. I just had a quick flick through and I couldn't believe just how awful it was. As Ben says, there's absolutely no way a meeting would have um, gone ahead. They would have been called off long before anyone had even turned up nowadays. Anyway, and they 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 still kept going through it though. Like then nobody sort of eventually there was people at, at the end of the video just after there's a crash in the sidecar final. All the sidecar riders are all sort of chatting to to each other and chatting to Ian Barkley about what to do. And there's a couple of them that still want to go out for the rerun. It's just unbelievable. Just just unreal, isn't it? Different yeah. different time, I suppose. Different rules, different health and safety issues, and all sorts, I suppose, back then. Yeah, yeah, it must have been. And these, uh, you know, they got through. They never rerun the so the sidecar final, but they had the solo final. Had a big crash in the first running of it and they rerun the solo final Uh, and then the sidecar final was finally where they stopped it but still a massive crowd as well yeah i commented on that as i was watching i still couldn't believe it you know towards the end of the day the place was still absolutely rammed despite the weather the conditions and all sorts just you know goes to show probably how bigger bigger meeting the ace of aces was yeah absolutely and we've got obviously dicky staff still owes me an interview uh we had him on a few episodes ago so if you haven't gone on to episode i think it's episode 10 that dicky was on talking about an incident at the ace of aces but when we do finally get dicky on we'll definitely need to pick apart that 94 aces because yeah absolute treat make sure you catch it on youtube also coming up in this episode though we've got the second part of the yannick de jong interview uh, in episode 11, if you haven't caught that yet, we had the first part of Yannick's interview and then we've caught up with Yannick for part two of his interview and he's going to talk about his World Long Track Championships, he's going to talk about his comeback and he's very honest and candid about uh, his ban, his substance substance ban. So really going to be an interesting interview for you to listen to and that's coming up very soon on episode 12 of the Grass Track Banter podcast.
So now on the Grass Strap Banter podcast, it's time for the news. And uh, with the latest from the ACU, really, on the coronavirus situation, that's where we're going to start because we've sort of talked about coronavirus. It feels like it's all we talk about lately. But uh, the latest ACU press release, um, the ACU board of directors, of which I think Tony Steele, who is the track racing chairman, he's a member. Well, I know he's a member of the board of directors. So they met on the 12th of May to discuss the phased return to motorcycle sport. The ACU, in partnership with the AMCA, have decided that a phased return to sporting events will commence in parallel with the government's Step 3. This coincides with the reopening of remaining businesses, public places and leisure facilities which have been required to close. As of the 12th of May, Step 3 is due to begin from the 4th of July. So 4th of July. But this is under constant review. We'll assess the situation again, we being the ACU, when the government implements step two, which is envisaged to be the 1st of June, which most people are um, sort of know is when the kids go back to school. So in the coming weeks, the ACU and AMCA will publish guidance documents for organisers looking to run restricted events after this time. So when we read that, our immediate uh, reaction, well, Russell, what was your immediate reaction to that? Um, it's all a bit uh, confusing, really, I think. Obviously, there's the date, the 1st of June, but then obviously it's all ifs buts and maybes obviously depends on what boris and the government uh decide in due course with with the lockdown and how the phased returns etc is going um obviously we've all got our opinions on that it sounds to me though like first of june they will the acu will meet again uh and to discuss how things are going but it does it sounds to me like there will not be any racing until the 4th of july that sounds like a fairly straightforward thing to me uh, in line with step three of the step three of the government's plan but if fourth of july is the date it seems unusual that you've got lots of clubs and venues that are starting to sort of put wheels in motion to have some events happening yeah we, we were talking about this obviously earlier wasn't we uh, before we started recording yeah it's all very confusing really at the moment i think i think people are all interpreting it in, in different ways or or whichever suits them best yeah so yeah i'm not too sure what to say really yeah and lots of people obviously uh will and i know that i've sort of got my acu hat on a little bit here but a lot of people will criticize the acu but you can only go with what you've got i mean the the acu have had the same the same guidance as everybody else and we all know how clear the the guidance from the government's been so the acu are trying to deal with that but Obviously, a lot of ACU um, bashing will happen. Uh, I suppose that's what's, what happens, isn't it? Uh, of course it is. Yeah, that's that's what the ACU are there for, isn't it? They're there to be bashed. Um, yeah. <laughs> As I've quickly um, found. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I, I don't really see what, what I've done wrong so far, to be honest. Um, you've got to look at it realistically. Um I mean, half the country's still not even working. So, so how can you have a motorsport event if it's not safe for half half the uh, country to go back to work, so to speak? Yeah. So, what's the plans for? Obviously, Ben, you guys at Waterlooville took the decision to um, to cancel the upright championships. Yes, Gareth, that's right. Yeah. So, in light of the announcement um, last week, we didn't really see any alternative or viable option. Um, to run the event obviously there's a lot of uncertainty still with the strain that it could potentially put on our medical um, and NHS teams across the country although it does seem to be okay in the south Uh, my sister works in Winchester Hospital and said that there is 
adequate numbers of beds and A&E admissions are at no sort of higher number than the usual circumstances. But that being said, we don't know what's going to happen with um, any increase, hopefully not in the case of the virus um, as a result of the, the lockdown measures being eased. If we look at our neighbours across the water, we've only got to look at the um, the numbers of death rates, unfortunately increasing. But yeah, we need we need to see. We need to be optimistic. Um, we took the decision to cancel um, in light of the announcement. There's just no alternative. Unfortunately, we can't run and adapt to uh, the measures required. Um, and that's the basis for the cancellation, really, as disappointing as it is. Um, we've got to be realistic. And uh, and Luke, I think a few other clubs have sort of have done the same, haven't they? Yeah, I know where uh, the poachers cancelled in August. Yeah, it's a tricky one, really. I mean, like you say, we can only follow government advice. I don't. We haven't put nothing out about the meeting at the end of July, but I'd imagine that'll be uh, cancelled as well. Um, I mean, the vast majority and most clubs is... They come under the elderly category, so the people setting up the, the tracks are generally those in the um, at-risk group as defined by the government. So even if we could go racing, there's not necessarily the people about to, to set the tracks up for us. So yeah, it's still just a, a waiting game. And I'm sure once um, we can do racing with Randy this year or, or next year, everyone will be um, raring to go, hopefully. Yeah, it's uh, it's... It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because like you say, there are a lot of people that are in the vulnerable bracket for it. And lots of people are getting quite cross or quite frustrated that they can't go racing and they can't sort of can't sort of do anything. But I mean, if anything were to happen to anybody that we all knew that, you know, through just a little bit of carelessness, I don't think we'd ever live it down, would we? We'd just it would just be horrendous. It's a very fine line to walk, Gareth, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, I've, I've been fairly opinionated today um, in our messenger group about how I feel about it all now. Um, my opinion is, if it's okay for my little girl to go to school, then, you know, the country should crack on and get on with it. Um, but at the same time, we don't want to put a strain on the NHS. We don't want any bad press for, for motorsport. Um no. I think it was in the last podcast, obviously, you said, you know, we get bad enough press as it is. So, yeah, it's such a fine line at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, and another big meeting that was cancelled was the uh, the FIM, uh, well, Long Track Day Nation or the World Team Long Track, whatever you want to call it, really. But I keep changing the name of the thing. But they cancelled that. That was due to be uh, August, I believe. Um, so that's, that's finished. But, Luke... Uh, dates for 2021 have started to come in. <laughs> they have. Uh, Hellsby announced um, their dates for next year already when they put up their cancellation because they were due to run a couple of meetings this year. So they've already put in um, or announced preliminary dates of uh, meeting in June and July at Hellsby. So I suppose that's that's one positive that the fixture list might be out incredibly early for, for next year. So yeah, some, some clubs are already looking towards sort of 2021 and uh, being a little bit positive with it which is really good and I know that sort of Denise at Wimborne has said that they weren't running in 2020 anyway uh, but they're starting to look towards sort of 2021 and things to do so you know there's there's a lot of positivity out there at the moment I think that you know sometimes a break does you good so uh, we're trying to maintain a bit of you know positivity and hopefully we'll come back bigger and stronger 
next year if we don't get to run but of course the the best case scenario will be that we get to run a few grass tracks even if it's just a few uh club level grass tracks or just something i think in this country would be perfect so another thing that you guys asked me to put onto the uh the news is about pit bike speedway so i think i'll go to i can't remember who it was that put it on the on the list now so what's the i news? mentioned it I'm... What's yeah, the pit bike well, speedway um, news? I think I know where uh, Ben's been more in contact. I know um, Mitch Gordon has been putting on the pit bike page that they're they're planning to get an event of some description up and running either at, I think at I Wade. Um, so hopefully there is, if there's no grass track, there is a chance of uh, a few grass trackers doing a bit of pit bike speedway as um, as we did over the over the winter. But again, that's down to ACU confirming that people can. Um, to leisure facilities and that sort of thing. Yeah, as Luke says, um, I think it's down to um, the reduction in the R, as the government likes to call it. But I think the plan is to see um, some summer events taking place uh, as a competitor-only affair. Obviously, social distancing measures as well, as much as can be. But, um, yeah, I think that that's one potential positive step for competitors, potentially. Um, obviously it is a very again like like we've said already it's a fine line at the moment but it does seem to me that the adaptions could take place in, in this type of environment as I said it's a competitor only affair uh, rider numbers will be managed accordingly uh, and it could potentially give, give riders a racing fix and um, yeah just on the sort of the, uh, the opportunity on talking about pit bikes I think it has been a good success for, for well for the um, the big Lick team, as they called themselves, I think, Russ, wasn't it? Yeah, the big lickers, yeah. yeah. It's seen um, a number of riders come back to the sport and also introduced a number of riders to the sport. Trevor, the podcast steward, to name one of them. Uh, have a drink. Um, <laughs> Take yeah, a shot. Trevor and his brother Ron, uh, they they dabbled with the pit bikes and now they're King GT 140 goers. Aaron Schubert started on I think you came across the motocross Luke is that right I'm not sure actually I think I think he had a motocross background but again he was introduced to the pit bike speedway scene um he's now I think he competed on the 250 class last year but he's also got a 500 machine as well that he's dabbling with uh and then one one of the big successes that brings to mind is um Simon Field oh, okay. yeah he, he started uh, from the pit bike speedway not sure what his motorcycling background was, whether he used to race grass track, I'm not sure. But, yeah, certainly his name came to my attention at I-Wade. And, uh, yeah, he, he's invested in some nice grass track kit and, and he's steadily improving and getting in the results now. So I think I think the pit bike speedway has been great. It's um, certainly given riders something to do over the winter. and It's good fun, good competitive racing, and, and it's fairly cheap to get into. I know Luke's enjoyed it, Russell's enjoyed it, as I have. Um, but, yeah, with Connor Dugard and the uh, the Dugards down at Eastbourne now, they've, they've created a uh, permanent mini-track at their Arlington Stadium. I think the signs are that a few of us will be spending our weekends at, at the pit bike scene. Yeah, I mean, that is all really positive, to be honest. It gives everyone a bit of a bit of a chance and i know that ben you said about um you know mental health is a bit of a concern as well for for riders yeah i mean we all we all have our our day-to-day lives and personally for me to my release from work and 
everyday pressures is is getting on my bike at the weekend and and racing. I mean, some people choose to go out jogging or mountain biking or or whatever it may be. That's our hobbies, you know. And without that fix, it um yeah, it could be it could be proved difficult for some people to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. So if there is something there that people can crack on and do, then all the better, really. So yeah, there's a there's a chance that we could have a bit of pit bike speedway perhaps soon or um, pra- various practices. We've been looking at some of the speedway tracks that are offering uh, higher of the venues today. Obviously, it sounds like that won't be until sort of 4th of July, but there is a potential that we could have a little bit of time racing motorbikes. So that might happen soon. Uh, last thing on the news is that uh, just a bit of a shameless plug, really. Uh, so do indulge me, boys. Uh, I started the virtual British Masters uh, this week or this weekend. Um, basically, I'm privy to a few stats about the British Masters. As anyone that knows me on Grassstrap Banter will know, I've, I'm absolutely obsessed with the British Masters. I think it's a wonderful uh, tournament, wonderful competition. Uh, one of the things I've got is the number of race wins that everybody's had. So I know... Uh, who won all the races ever since the start of the British Masters in 1982 and who's won the most Uh, so what I did is I compiled the top 32 solos by way of wins race wins that's wins in the heats semis and the finals and the top 18 sidecars and I produced a British Masters lineup for the ages basically so the the top riders by way of heats heat wins Uh, and now I've got a a program of races for them to race each other post it online you may have seen it and you vote for the one that you want to win and at the moment i think the race race one of the solos and race one of the sidecars is just about to finish uh, i think roger Mieser and dave harris have won the sidecar one but it was touch and go for a while uh, and kelvin tatum's absolutely blown the competition away in race one in the uh, in the other one but it was nice to see tim nobes because he's one of the riders in it and he sort of messaged and said, oh, I got a stiff heat. And he did. He had sort of Paul Hurry, Calvin Tatum, a few legends of the sport. And there's more legends to come. So just something just to keep you uh, interested, keep you entertained. Because obviously we've got no racing at the moment. So um, if you haven't been onto the uh, Grassstrap Banter Facebook page, get yourself on there. Have a look. You'll see it all there. Uh, race, uh, the second race in the first leg will go up this evening once we finish recording this. Uh, and by the time you listen to this, it'll probably be on the third or fourth race. So hopefully you enjoy that. And then at the end of it, we'll have a final and we'll decide who our ultimate Masters champion is. But I think uh, we've already established that there's a couple of names that even Ben didn't know. Yeah, there was two on there that um, took me by surprise. Yeah, and there's probably a handful that you do- you're not sure of, Luke. Uh, probably yeah. most. Yeah, they're, 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 they go go goes to the same. But you can always just vote for the ones you have heard of. And I think that's the sort of line that you've been taking. Um, And that's all right. That's all good. They did the same thing with the Speedway Grand Prix, um, so I'm told. They did a virtual Speedway Grand Prix, but I don't really know how it went. Did anyone follow that? Yeah, uh, Tommy Wolfenden went uh, unbeaten. Did he? Uh, Basically, basically, yeah, similar format to what you've done with your one. um, Four riders on the line, and then they vote for who they want to win each heat and so on into the semi-finals and finals. So, yeah. Um, Ty Wuffenden was... Seems very well received. Yeah. Ty Wuffenden went unbeaten. Was it just in Britain by any chance? Um, I don't know. I think it took place on um, Twitter. I don't know then. Oh, interesting. Well, 
it's there for you to enjoy so please do get on there and enjoy it i'm just trying to come up with things to keep everyone entertained but most importantly to keep everyone enthusiastic because i know that there are an awful lot of you out there that do an awful lot so that we can race around in circle well these three can i've i've jacked all that in now but so that we can all go racing and enjoy each other's company there's some of you that work really hard and all we need to do is just keep up the enthusiasm keep up the motivation because uh, obviously we owe an awful lot to these people and the last thing we want is this uh, coronavirus um, downtime to cause a real downturn in what we're doing so uh, enjoy the british Ma- the virtual british masters online i'm sure i can come up with something else once we finish that too but hopefully i won't have to for much longer so that was the news if you've got anything newsworthy or noteworthy that you want to bring to our attention do make sure you get in touch with us grassstrap banter podcast at outlook.com and we will make sure that we uh, report the news to all of you all the important comings and goings of our sport so it's now time for our grass is greener segment this is the segment where we think about something that people often suggest to improve our sport and we pick apart why it hasn't quite worked and this week boys off the back of a conversation i had with uh, paul standing in the week and something that i've talked about quite often we're talking about uh entry level grass track classes or b classes or basically if you are the man off the street and you come to a grass track meeting which where do you go or what do you do where, where do you enter um as an entry for your racing now the reason why this is a bit of a concern is because if you are for example a uh somebody who wants to have a ride on a sidecar a thousand cc sidecar you could go to a meeting and immediately you could line up with british masters champions straight away it would be an equivalent of going to your local go-kart track to have a go on the go-karts and lining up in your first race next to lewis hamilton uh, and nico rosberg so that's kind of what we're at at the moment, um, and it's sort of it's been an ongoing problem. And I know that uh, Luke, you've had conversations about this before with various people, but it is a it is a concern, isn't it? Like if you're new to the sport, there isn't really an entry level class for you to get into. Yeah, that's uh, very true. Yeah, I'd spoken to uh, to Paul as I said earlier on um, a few years back about it. Uh, it's a, I mean, it's a good idea, um, like you say. I mean, if I was to buy a bike i mean other than pit bikes i've got no riding experience whatsoever and if i was to get one um yeah chances are i could be up against some top riders end up getting lapped uh, or being a nuisance or whatever um yeah it's a tricky one uh, i mean the the negative to it obviously it's an extra class i don't know how how you could how you could put it in maybe if you if you've got two-day meetings um you could maybe have it on a saturday for example i mean a lot of meetings now they seem to be filled up with 13 or 14 classes on the Sunday you can't really then put in another class um, I think it's something that's that's needed not just sidecars but possibly solos as well where you have like an open novice class I know some some clubs do do have that though I mean I always think about whenever I think about this with regards to solos I always think about a race that happened at Frittenden uh, several years ago I can't remember exactly who it was but there was five or six riders who were involved in a race I mean I think possibly Paul Hurry or somebody like that was in the race but they were off and gone into the distance but the other four or five that were in the race Warren Atkinson was one of them James Wells was one of them and there was a couple of others you know club club level riders who um, but the race that they had was absolutely brilliant it was certainly as entertaining as anything else Um, they were having a great laugh because they were all racing against people of their sort of standard and not having to race against anybody else but of course quite often nowadays in racing you racing is very strung out isn't it i mean it's it you've got your fast lads and they go off 
uh, and they sort of they're very quick and it's impressive but unless you get somewhere like the masters you don't see everyone all together it's everybody's very spread out so one benefit would be that the racing would be better but you do have this situation where where do you draw the line with a b class you know who do you put into the main meeting and who do you have in the b class because there's a f- certain few people who doesn't matter which class it would be would be more than happy to go into the b class they would quite enjoy the competitiveness of it they wouldn't be too worried about going into the main the main sort of lineup you've got some people that obviously would go in the a class because they're very quick but then you've got those people in the middle you've got sort of uh you know no disrespect but i reckon ben and russell would be around this area because you've got would you go if you've got a lineup and you can go right you can go out in a race with those six blokes there you know uh henry atkins graham thomas luke harris and those riders um or you can go in this race with a few club riders well you two are sort of somewhere in the middle so it's you know you either go in that the top race and you end up being swamped by riders and it's a really tough day and you probably don't enjoy yourselves or you go in the b class and you dominate it which you might like but it's certainly not very interesting to watch and it's not gonna it's not going to do any good for those club riders. Yeah, Gareth. I mean, I'm going to contradict myself loads here and waffle on like normal. You've got the argument of, of how many classes is too many classes. I think we've got too many classes already. Uh, and then you've got the argument, obviously, uh, which classes would you do away with if, if you did do away with a few to to make room for the novice classes. Um, I think too many people come to grass track uh, I watch people like Paul Hurry flying around and think, yep, that's easy. I'm going to go and buy myself a 500 uh, and race next week. Obviously, our, like you say, our, our A class, so to speak, or our international class, if we went down a European format, obviously, yeah, we wouldn't have that many in there. You, you, like you say, you know, probably um, a few and far between, really. But then that's where I think we should adopt the European approach of the international and B classes which would then probably help out the 500 solos where the numbers do dwindle a bit. Um, obviously, they do sort of fluctuate a little bit. They have to get certain positions, I believe, or stuff like that in like the German meetings, etc. cetera. Uh, but then what do you do with the youth when they come out of the 250s? Do they then have to go into the B-class 500s? Because with that, then main people like Ben, etc. then can't race their 250 jowers. It's, I think the sport's at quite a big crossroads, to be honest. I don't think there's an easy answer. For instance, like when I first started passenger in Paul, my first meeting was at Frittenden, uh, and the first race we lined up. And one side I looked and there was Rob Wilson, uh, and the other side was Paul Whiteland. And I thought, uh, what have I got myself into? <laughs> so there's, I can see the argument from all angles, really, but I'm not sure what the answer is. Could you possibly, like, because I mean, I've done some marshalling at. Uh motocross is one one suggestion where they have all the solos are all just in basically class one two and three and then they basically choose um, which class to enter so class one's obviously your top riders and so on obviously engine sizes doesn't come into it would that be something that that would work i mean probably not a great idea with having some 500 mixing with 250s for example yeah i think that that would be a problem of obviously such a a different style between obviously the way, the way the bikes are ridden you'd have to have probably have some sort of league or scoring system maybe to make it fair so obviously people weren't entering an easier class every week and just coasting it 
but yeah, that that could work. That, that's that's a potential answer, I guess. Of course, if you had yeah, transponders, I mean, I mean... if you had transponders, you could uh, you could class everybody by their practice time. Oh. Yeah, uh, but you could have people sandbagging and, and all sorts. Oh, you get that. It's funny you used to say that. Yeah, you, people get, you do get that in motocross. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it before where there's been people in the bottom class that are obviously should be in the top, and you get people in the top who entered late that should be in the bottom, and they're absolutely miles behind. So he's open to abuse, I suppose, doing it like that. I'd love to see a, uh, a just one meeting a year, maybe, whereby... Um, engine capacity isn't isn't a factor and you have your you know your a b and c just like you were describing really and in your a class you've got you know all your top 500 solos uh in your b class you've got your sort of top 250s your club level 500 solos and your top 350s maybe and then a c class where you've got you know sort of the the club level riders and capacities no it, it doesn't matter um, just one meeting. Obviously, everybody's gone down the line of, or the whole sport has gone down this line of classing ourselves by engine capacity now, and it's probably too late to ever turn that around. But it'd be an interesting meeting just to see. You know, I'd like to see how. Uh, let me think of someone. I'd like to see how sort of Tim Kernock on the upright would get on against uh, Dave Mears on his 350, for example. And you'd have sort of clashes like that where you'd have, you know, Graham Thomas going up against. Uh, I'm trying to think of someone sort of rod melksham maybe rod melksham's that sort of decent 500 solo club rider it'd be, it'd be good it'd be fascinating to watch i always used to enjoy the hangover meetings but they were always an open format you always get a couple of 250 or quick 350 riders um have a bit of a turn up for the books i remember one year david knowles won the meeting followed by chris Steele, and there were some good 500 riders behind him i know the conditions um, would have played a part in the in the two strokes that day, getting out to start with their um, with the motocross tyres and 21 inch rims, but um, they still still took the victory over the 500s. And it was fascinating to watch. And the uh, the southeastern centre always have the the unlimited race where they have um, it's like a handicap race, isn't it? You have your 250s have a, a a big lead over the 350s and the 500s, um, and it's a great, it's brilliant. And it almost, I wonder if that could become the norm, maybe. Uh, you know, you have your finals, all your finals, and then the last race of the day, and they do it on autograss and sort of car racing. They do the the last race is where they have all of the capacities, but they all have sort of certain handicaps, and it's always a fantastic race. Just a bit of uh, blue sky thinking, really. Yeah, I think they're certainly to watch watch the uh, the handicap in the southeastern centres uh, always good. It wasn't... It's not the most enjoyable to uh, take part in when you know you've got the likes of uh, Hazel and, and Dave Mears lining up behind you, hunting you down. Um, <laughs> the one at Frittenden the other year, uh, I can't quite remember if Harry, uh, if Paul was in it or not, but I know like Stevie Green and that. When it uh, um, graphed but, Green last year? No, it was this was this one was at Frittenden. It was me, oh. Lee Charles, uh, I think it was uh, Hollinsby was, was the, the 250 riders. And then I should imagine it's probably like Dave Mears and, and Mark Giles on the 350s. Um, definitely Steve Green was one of the 500s. Yeah. But but you do, you're sort of trying to push, but but you think, like, where are they going to come from and am I going to be in the way? Because you, you know they're coming and you know they're not going to sort of wait for you to move, so to speak. <laughs> the sense of impending doom. Yeah, so it's, it's. I think it sounds yeah. great. <laughs> but then I don't have to ride in it. <laughs> no, no. Um, 
No, that's because you retired too early. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think maybe if you grade uh, if if you graded that on on ability, maybe a bit more. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's one option, obviously. Um, yeah, it's not much fun uh, going down the straight waiting for them. I can tell you that much. <laughs> well, we've sort of moved away from the topic, really, and the topic is uh, be you know having an entry level for people to to sort of come into the sport and coming back to what Paul Stanley was talking about he's talked about B classes for sidecars which is really an interesting one and we've sort of talked about that he talked about uh, accessibility for the public and one thing he pointed out to me actually which was quite interesting he said he was talking about you know people not wanting to come and race sidecars and he says and you commentators don't help I said what do you mean he says well when we were at King's Lynn he said the whole time you were going on about you wait till you see these monster thousand cc sidecars 180 brake horsepower no brakes the public wouldn't want to go anywhere near them and it's a fair point really I suppose it's a fair point that you build them up so much that people think that you have to be some sort of uh, robot to ride the thing and it's just not the case but having said that if you're lining up against the likes of Mark Cossa and Gareth Winterbone on your first meeting uh, that's pretty terrifying but He's uh, well, what about if you had it so that you had to like work your way through the classes? So start in the 250s and then move up into the 350s and then the 500s rather than going out and buying a bike because Paul Harry or Andrew are putting a cell in it and, and, and they make it look so easy that you know we're all going to do it. I don't know, I don't, I don't think there's a simple answer. I really don't. No, the biggest problem with it is numbers years ago when you had enough riders you could have done you could do that you could sort of um you know you could class people and you could have two classes of 250s i mean some of the videos i've been watching on youtube there's sort of you know three heats of 12 250 solos and in that situation you could have quite easily had you know that's 36 solos you could have easily had an a class and a b class they chose not to they didn't do it in that time and now we're in a situation where we don't have enough riders sometimes to even fill one race of the class and you're certainly not going to then start splitting it up into a's and b's you just run with whatever you've got yeah like i said i'm not really sure what the simple answer is gareth no but Um, uh, the other thing that paul sort of talked about was uh this 80s to 90s sidecar class that the vmcc have agreed to run uh and he's and you know in con in concept, it sounds like a good idea. I think we need to see a couple of meetings run, but he's interested to know who's got bikes out there because we know a few, like Paul Standing's got loads of, or a couple of outfits that are eligible. Um, Simon Heels got his dad Martin's V4 Honda um, ready to run, I believe. There is a, a couple of SGM X-Ups about as well. I know Gareth Tregilgas has got one that he's willing to run. I think there's a Wasp somewhere as well that somebody said they've got. So there are a few bikes around still with... Uh, thousand engines in them uh, and Paul suggests that that could be an entry level class he can't he also says that he can't see that the sort of B class is going to happen but if there's this extra class that some cl- that some places are going to run and you need to get six then perhaps that could be an entry level but uh, if you're out there and you have got equipment that's sort of from the 80s and uh, the early 90s up to about 95 then do get in touch because I know that Paul is keen to try something just to give an entry-level uh, sidecar class into the sport. So we we'll sort of have to wait and see, really. It's difficult. It's really difficult. It's come too far now to change anything drastically. Yeah. So you just got to try and maintain as best as you can, and hopefully we don't get any GT 100 CT classes or 110 classes. 
and just get more and more classes to try and encourage people. Yeah, I think that, you know, the GT140s has happened because of there was no entry level, but we've sort of discussed before that, uh, that you know, if, if that's not carefully uh, thought about, then, you know, that could get out of hand as well. But I'm sure it won't. I'm sure it will stay, certainly for the short term. But so that was the Grasses Greener segment. If you've got something to say on the uh, on the issue of an entry level cr- class for Grass Track, do get in touch with us, grasstrackbanterpodcastoutlook.com. As you can tell, we're a little bit stuck for answers, really. At the moment, the situation is if you buy a bike and you start to compete, you will be competing it potentially against sort of British champions in your first meeting or even European champions in your first meeting uh, if you go to certain tracks. Uh, and that's just the way it is at the moment. Uh, and that must be a little bit off-putting. But if you think you've got potential solutions, do get in touch with us. Uh, Grassstrap Banter Podcast at Outlook.com. Coming up next is the second part of the Yannick de Jong interview. So please enjoy. Well, your first European title, your f- first European grass track title, of course, was mm-hmm. in uh, Bielefeld in Germany, uh, which yeah. is another brilliant grass track. Um, so that must have been a fantastic day for you, winning that title for the first time. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh-huh. Yeah, but I think at that point I, I grew or I evolved in a, in someone to to uh, yeah. I I, th- I think at, at that time I was one of the best grass track riders in in Europe, uh, and and at some point you you feel that 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 you have a chance to to win it. And then you start to believe it, and when you start to believe it, and you, 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 you uh, it happens, uh, or at least in my in my racing career, that that's usually how it went. When I really believed in it, and when I felt that it that it was going to happen, it it usually happened, uh, and and this happened in Bielefeld. And it was I obviously uh, gained a lot of experience with building an, an, uh, a frame together with a Dutch frame builder Hokop. And that frame really, really suited me. Uh, I, I worked together with with them and my mechanic uh, Appie van der Honig on this frame, and and uh, also uh, with my with my engine tuner BVE, and and together also with with, with my mechanic. We always try to improve, and we were always talking on, on how to get things better. And I was always uh, thinking about how can I improve the bikes, and I was always in in the workshop trying to to make things better, and and all this. This, this pieces of those the, the puzzle they, they just fell together there in, in Bielefeld and it was very rewarding that that all that hard work and and that it finally paid off so that was really yeah it was a great experience it was the turning point I think because up until then I mean you'd sort of steadily become a top you know a top rider on the European scene you know you'd been around in the Grand Prix for a while and uh, but yeah. never really looked like winning it. And then suddenly that season, yeah. that 2013, and from then yeah. on, to be honest, from then on until you until you were suspended, you you were yeah. at the top because you had, you know, you had the second, that European championship, you were second in the, in the world long track that year. And suddenly yeah. everything clicked into place. So, um, yeah. 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 So, I mean, I mean that you've sort of said that's down to the frame. It's down to your mindset. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it just must be great. Like once you're sort of riding on the crest of a wave like that, it must feel like nothing can go wrong. <laughs> no, that's not entirely true. Uh, you have some bad days as well, uh, but uh, I think in general, uh, you 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 uh, 
because I was very inconsistent before that. And then I started to become more consistent. And, and uh, uh, I think that is, that, that is what proves that I think that you are, you are a, a good rider. Of course, you have your bad days and, 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 and of course, you make bad decisions. And of course, you go to a track and, and you, you uh, make a, diff, uh, a wrong decision with, with, uh, with setting up your bike. Yeah. But I think, I think what is the difference, uh, what makes you a good rider is that you know how to, uh, to turn that around and that you start uh, working on, on a solution and, and uh, that, you, that you just uh, positively uh, try to, to, to make, it, make, it, make it different. And, yeah. and I think before that, but that also has to do, I think, with uh, with a little bit of experience and and and, and knowledge about uh, uh, engines and and tracks and and uh, things you can do to to make something work on a bike. That 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 all fell into peace. And be- before that, I was searching, uh, or we were searching. Obviously, you're you're never alone when when you are racing and you have a whole t- team of, of people or enthusiasts that, uh, yeah. that, that are helping you. And from that moment on, yeah, uh, yeah, it, it went really, it went really well. Yeah, it really did. It really did. Yeah. I mean, you had the, uh, obviously you won the first one in Bielefeld and then, well, you said you liked the French tracks and Sam Maguire, you won the second European title and then you did, yeah. you did what uh, nobody's ever done before and defended the title for a third time. Uh, on mm-hmm. on home turf as well at, in um, yeah. Stadthorst. So, yeah. Um, yeah, the third win must have been... Well, I don't know. Which one was your favourite win the, out of the three? Mm-hmm. St. Macaire. Okay. I think that is also that is still one of the best meetings I ever wrote in, <laughs> in my career. Yeah. What was it about that meeting then? That... Uh, I, 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 something, something funny that... that uh... <laughs> Make what make make makes it a little bit more special. I think is uh, when we got to the track that morning, uh, we unloaded the van and everything, and took the bikes out and set up the clutches and everything, put it together, and we went to the to the scrutineering. And then we got back. And obviously in France, it's it's usually uh, quite hot when you go there for uh, for a race in the summer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And uh, I, I usually had my uh, uh, cooler that I could hook up to, to the generator to, to get my drinks cooled. So I was a little bit in panic because I forgot to unload it and put it on the place. So I, I, I went into the van and I took it out. It was always between the two front seats. I, I, I don't know. I, I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm must have been in, 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 in out of balance or, or something like that. But I, I went, I, I uh, yeah, I went through my back. I'm not sure whether you you call it like like, like that in English. Uh, but something snapped in my back, and my back was absolutely killing me with pain. I almost couldn't move anymore. So yeah. I remember that uh, Henry van der Steen, uh, his uh, his girlfriend Laura, she she uh, she. Uh, massaged me in my back and I put something on there and and all I did that night was I just sat on the bike and I got from the bike onto my chair and I almost didn't move but I was so concentrated because of that I was so into that that uh, that uh, yeah into the my, my my mindset was was so uh, unbelievably concentrated that yeah that was really that <laughs> It, it it might sound stupid, but I think that that 
could have been the reason why why I was so uh, I was performing so well that night because yeah all I thought was I have to focus on my racing yeah and I, and, and and not on that pain in my back and and I think that is why maybe maybe it it went better but that was still one of the best uh, races I think in, in my career I, I also had it a few years later in in I think it was in in Marmont. It was a very horrible accident from Cameron. I was in, I think I was in third position or something. I uh, overtook uh, Richard Hall. He was in front of me on the inside in, in the in the pitch turn in uh, in Marmont, and I overtook him on the inside. But when you overtake somebody there on the inside, and and you go, you're you're so fast. You, the 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 track takes you out to the outside yeah. because because the, the 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 of the shape of the track. And I overtook him on the inside and I was, well, pushed to the outside a little bit. And at that moment, I saw Cameron crashing in front of me. So I, I uh, did everything I could to not hit him. So I, I, I managed to not hit him, but the bike did hit me, <laughs> mm. hit me full on my right shoulder. And uh, I, I was in so much pain. But also at, at that race, I, I won the race, I won the meeting, but... Yeah, I was in so much pain, and I think with yeah that it, I, maybe maybe that is also uh, uh, why I was was so concentrated. You just you just all, only focus on your racing. Yeah. yeah, I guess nothing focuses the mind quite like a bit of pain. I don't think I'd recommend it. I do. I wouldn't Probably. recommend having a crash just to make yourself a Probably. bit more focused. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it sounds. But I also had other great meetings, of course, without any pain. Yeah. But, but those. <laughs> Those kind of things that that's that yeah that stick, stick, stick in your to mind. mind. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you had the three um, European titles, um, and then you were set to defend for the fourth time, and all seemed to be going to plan. And uh, I mean, this was a meeting that happened in the UK at uh, Swingfield. Yeah. And uh, all seemed to be going to plan. You looked like you were going to sort of scoop your fourth title in a row, um, yeah, and I, then well, you were excluded from uh, a first bend incident and. Even the you know James Shane's went on to win the meeting and it was it was brilliant mm-hmm. as an English grass track fan it was obviously fantastic but uh, mm-hmm. I think even so we were robbed of a a, a duel between the, the two of you um, and nobody could really fathom why you'd been excluded. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> the referee said that I uh, should have closed the throttle. Yeah. That was his opinion. I think, uh, yeah, I think it was just a racing accident. And uh, five guys, six guys, uh, all uh, wanting to 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 be in that turn first. Yeah. And 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 yeah, it's it's a European final, so uh, yeah, everybody's just trying to to push themselves forward. And I I think I was victimized a little bit but on the other hand yeah if i if i would have had a better start and i wouldn't be in that position so yeah you know and 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 to be honest i i i couldn't really get into into the 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 proper mood at that day and i i had a lot of difficulties getting out of the start and and we tried a lot of things and and yeah i just i just couldn't really get the bike to work and and i couldn't get my my head around it quite right, so I I, I think I would have probably lost to James uh, at that day anyway. But well, we, we we'll never know it because I was 
I was excluded, but uh, yeah, I, I I I do think that that he was he was stronger that day than than me. Yeah, well, I mean, he had a he had a um, a strange journey to the final. I mean, he it was a it was almost like a movie. But just thinking about yeah. yourself, I mean, the only the only sort of thing that came from it afterwards is you know everyone was really even the British fans were sort of upset to see that you'd been um, excluded from the race, but. The way that you handled yourself afterwards was really quite commendable. I mean, there's, we've seen a lot in grass track, people having tantrums and you see it on the speedway that they, you know, people get very cross and abusive and they're quite rude to the referee. But the way that you handled yourself in that situation was sort of, it surprised a lot of people and I think earned you a lot of fans, really. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's a great compliment. Thank you. Yeah, well, what, what, yeah. You know, uh, and that, that's something that that I learned later in my life. Yeah, <laughs> in the job, you have the the circle of concern and the circle of influence, and you can only you should only worry or or get mad or or uh, or, or stress yourself about things that you can influence and things that you cannot influence. Well, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, and uh, the main thing is, and I think that's also something that that uh, was was really taught to me by my mechanic and, and his wife, uh, Appy and, and Ali, they, they were they were really, uh, because he, he used to race uh, sidecars and solos also, he was, he was a very good sidecar driver in his days. They were always saying, okay, and again, well, it happened, but you know, <laughs> this is, we can't change it anymore, and yeah. Yeah. Let's move on to the next race. Let's let's uh, let's uh, prepare ourselves on that. And I think that is, yeah, that that's was very um, a worthful lesson or a very worthful uh, guidance uh, to me. And and I think uh, yeah, I, I uh, you would just have to accept it at, at that point. Yeah, it very easy uh, very easy to say, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, commendable that you were able to do that really because. It's a real good lesson, actually, for young any young riders that are listening, because uh, it is you know in the height of in the height of all of the in the height of all of the uh, you know the the adrenaline to be able to handle yourself in a calm manner is very very difficult. But yeah. so that was the uh, that was the European, but of course the World Long Track Championship after having a couple of runners up positions in 2013 yeah. and 14, you scooped the the title in 2015. A, a brilliant season for you, but. Obviously, the win at uh, Morizet's again in France, I guess, must be the highlight of the season. But yeah, yeah must have been amazing to be world long track champion. Yeah, it was. It was, and uh, you know, the year the year before, uh, at that time, uh, Eric Ries was was also still uh, riding long track. So the year before, me and Eric were were also uh, uh, first and second. Yeah. And and that that time the final was in Muldorf, and and I was going into that final uh, leading uh, him and uh, yeah I could really feel the pressure and I just I just uh, uh, succumbed to to the pressure I think uh, on that day and and in Morris I think it was uh, it was it was turned the other way in, in in my favor because I was I was going into the final I think it was I was 10, 10 eight points behind or something like that right. And uh, and I, I was really feeling good. The bike was really working well. Uh, that that engine, I think that is also the engine where I, I became European champion on. 
in, in, in 2013 for the first time. It's a very special engine. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that just really, it's, yeah, it, 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 it works brilliantly. It's, it's always like, yeah, of course you have some other engines, but if, if, if nothing worked, then I could also always get grab back to that engine and I could always rely on that it worked and that it went. It was not the fastest engine, it was not the strongest engine, but it was always working for me. Yeah. I could use it on the small grass track, I could use it on the long track. It, 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 uh, it, it was not the, the best engine, but for me, for me it was because I, I, I had another engine that, that, was, that was much faster on the long track, but I could always get it to work somehow. Yeah. Uh, on on on, uh, on on every uh, type of track uh, with 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 uh, changing some some small things in, in the setup so that yeah that was so but I yeah I I also use that in in Morris S and uh, uh, yeah the, the, it was it was really going well and, and at, at at one point I think Eric was was fourth or something in in one heat or third or fourth and I, and I started gaining points and then I, and then like I said before I was. I was starting to believe in it, and then, and then, yeah, then it happened. So, yeah. yeah, it's actually what you're saying there about the engine. I mean, for yourself, we've talked before about the, the World Long Track Championships that was supposed to be this year. You had a uh, Forcer in Finland, which obviously you've gone very well there before, um, and yeah. Herxheim, which are long tracks. But then you had a speedway track that was planned in Poland, and then there was grass tracks as well, Lariol. And you have yeah. to be a very, it's not really long track anymore. It's sort of track racing. It's grass track and long track. But something that you obviously mastered, which I think some of our young riders are trying to do at the moment, is to be able to go well on a thousand meter sand track one week mm-hmm. and then the next week go to a triangle like Marman and go well mm-hmm. and then go to yeah. a grippy Dutch long track, uh, uh, sorry, a grippy Dutch grass track, the Adward or somewhere like that, and go well there yeah. as well. And I think that at the moment, the riders yeah. that can do that are the ones that are winning the world championships. And it's something that you mastered. Yeah, and I think that's also, uh, uh, but it's also very difficult to 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 learn, and and, and that's what I that's I think that brings me back to something. I, I, you you need to to build up uh, that experience, and and uh, uh, you also have to uh, I think when you are when you are a young rider, uh, I think the main thing is when when you go somewhere is that you you want to just try and learn and try to absorb as much. Uh, uh, knowledge as you can, and and uh, about uh, uh, how to shatter the bike, and and and, and of course there there's all, always uh, a, a kind of track that that uh, suits you better than another kind of track. But yeah, yeah, you have to uh, you have to to adapt to the track, and uh, uh, of course you can uh, gain a lot by by shedding up the bike correctly. But I think as a rider you also have to know uh, how to sit on the bike and, and how to move on the bike to 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 make the bike work on on a, sh- on a short track but also on a long track yeah because the the the, 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 the technique in riding is is really different and when you when you are on a thousand meter track you you're you're really letting the bike go try to keep the wheels in line as much as possible whereas when you are on a really short track yeah, you you just have to turn it so it's more like uh, like coming in a turn on a speedway track, yeah? like really putting the handlebars down low and 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 oversteering it, and then really put it put it uh, put the 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 forks against the diamonds, yeah? so to say, to, sure. to to turn it. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's it's interesting because I've 
we've spoken to um, Trevor Banks, as I mentioned to you, and we've spoken to James Shanes and Zach Veitnecht and um, a few solo riders now. Um, and nobody can really be clear how the speedway, the grass track and the long track all help you because uh, you obviously did most of your racing grass track and long track and that meant that you could go between grass tracks and long tracks fairly fairly successfully and riders like Mattia Tressier and people like that can do that too uh, mm-hmm. but but sometimes they say you know James Shanes has said that riding speedway helps his grass track but sometimes it doesn't help him with the long track and it's almost like you don't know which way to turn with it I think because Riding the bike, like you've said, riding the bike on the speedway track is helpful because you're on the bike and you're getting used to it, but it's teaching you to turn the bike very hard. But the long track, you need to be almost of a different mindset. And it's yep. it's very interesting listening yep. to you all and trying to sort of work out where the where the land lies really and with what they what riders should be doing yeah but i think it's, there is no uh, there is no uh, uh, book that that tells you uh, how to how to become a good rider i think everybody has to find that uh, find that way for himself yeah. uh, and I, I think when you speak to 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 speedway world champions or long track world champions or i don't know road racing world champions, i think everybody has a different story yeah and and uh, because every individual has his has his own uh, ways, and yeah, that's uh, there. But of course, if you are really honest against yourself, and you are always uh, reflecting on yourself uh, and and trying to improve, then eventually you will get better. Yeah. Well, I mean, you talked about uh, Eric Riss just now, um, mm-hmm. and obviously Eric was a real good rival of yours, and then he he's now given up grass track and long track and just does speedway and rides for sort of Kings Lynn in the UK and everybody else. Um, and this yeah. year, Dimitri Berger, who's the current, the world long track champion, he's retired from long track and grass track and he's now gone. So, um, yeah. you know, assuming that you were sort of at the top of the game for long track and grass track, were there mm-hmm. sort of, were there any plans for you to do something similar or were you going to stick with the grass track? I was offered after my world long track title. Uh, I I was uh, telephoned by uh, um, Henny Kruse. Henny Kruse is, uh, I think he was the first rider to do a paid 21 points maximum in, in the British league, but Please correct me if I'm wrong, but he was a very good Dutch speedway rider. And he, he rang me up. He said, Yannick, you can ride. Don't you want to go into speedway and, and we can help you and we'll get you into a club. And I think I was 20, 28 at that time, 20, 20, 20, 27. I said to him, no, I'm too old. I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> no, I, you know, at, at some point, yeah, I have a life here. I, I have my friends. I have my... My partner, my my or my, uh, my Femke, uh, uh, and my family, and I have a job. Uh, I work for 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 a very yeah a nice company. Uh, and and um, you know there there's there's more in life than than riding circles. Yeah. And um, uh, I guess if uh, and that's everybody has to decide it for themselves because a lot of people also told me yeah you know Eric Rich hey, why why is he is he, is he quitting with, with long track? He should do a long track because uh, speedway, uh, yeah, but it's is, uh, is very difficult and, and uh, uh, to get on the top. But but I always think, yeah, but but if, if somebody wants to do it, yeah, 
it's, it's his choice. And if he's happy with the choices uh, in his life, then, then then I think that is that's the most important. Huh? Yeah. Uh, and I think in, in the in the case of, of uh, Eric and Dimitri, if, if they want to make a living out of Speedway, yeah, who are we to judge them? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, as long as those guys are, are happy with 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 that, then you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nothing but support, I think. Yeah, yeah fair, enough. fair yeah. enough. I find it very hard, though. I don't know how you feel, but I find it... I mean, I, it's always sad, really, to see riders it's going. A pity. But... It's a pity, for, and it's a pity also for the, for the sport, because yeah. you know, those guys lift the sport to another level, and, yeah. and, and if, it's, if, it is, if it involves something that, that, you, that uh, you love, and, and I think in this case, uh, and that's, that's obviously the case, because... Uh, if, if, if it weren't so, then we weren't discussing it yeah. right now. If we weren't listening or, or to this, people weren't listening to this podcast and people weren't li- going to grass track races. And, and, and to, to see something, yeah, it's, it's kind of devalue uh, uh, mm. because of that. Yeah, and then, of course, everybody has an opinion about it. Yeah, it's a shame. Uh, it, it must be hard, though. Like, Eric went off to Speedway as the champion. I mean, he, he didn't defend his title. And then... Uh, Dimitri's doing the same. I just couldn't imagine being the title holder uh, and then not defending your title. Yeah, maybe they're scared that I'm coming back. No, <laughs> <laughs> no oh, that's kidding. what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe. No, that's the case. No, I, I, yeah, it's a pity, but I think yeah, uh, people also sit, tell sometimes say sometimes that you that you have to uh, stop at your at your uh, at your best. Yeah. <laughs> And take stock, I guess. Uh, yeah, and I think you know those. They, they can always come back to grass track. Yeah. Uh, and 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 what I what I really, yeah, because I, uh, what what you really see the, the last years is that also guys from from in 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 Scandinavia are are riding long track yeah. and, and grass track more and more. And I think the reason for that is at at I think at some point in life when you are uh, racing speedway. And you're you're traveling the whole week, and uh, I I think at some point there's also something else you would like to do. And I think I think yeah, if you have a job or something, gr- grass track is 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 much easier to combine with yeah. with a full time job uh, than uh, than speedway. So I I, uh, I spoke to some guys that uh, from from Sweden, for instance, on 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 meetings in in the Netherlands. That said, yeah, well, I have a job now. Uh, I, I, I simply can't race Speedway anymore because I have to go to work. But I, yeah. I still want to race. So uh, and and uh, yeah, that's that's why they decide to go to grass track. So I think that that is also a, a development that 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 I think is quite positive and 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 might help us in in the future. But I think uh, it's it's a, it's a shame that that that. that uh, guys are leaving but and, and yeah on the other hand i think if you are a professional speedway rider and you want to make a living out of it then uh, i i think it's 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 best to do it because then it will only uh you know it's 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 not cheap to to maintain two grass track bikes no. and and to and because if you are if you are friends if you are living in england and, and you have to travel to the continent uh, every other week for for a grass track meeting, you know, that's it's it's not cheap. No, 
So uh, yeah, I, I, from that perspective, I can I can really imagine why why those guys are making that choice. Yeah, yeah, it is a shame. And uh, obviously, Eric left the sport around sort of 2017 sort of time, and Dimitri's now gone as well. And and right in the middle of that, of course, um, your suspension came, and that's sort of what we're going to talk about now. If um, yeah. So sort of 2017, many of us really were sad to hear that you'd uh, tested positive in a in a doping test, in a random doping yeah. test. Um, yeah, that's right. And I think it's important to point out to our listeners, Yannick, that um, you weren't deemed to be under the influence of drugs while racing, um, which oh. I think some people, some people, when they hear that you've sort of been banned, people think that you were turning up, you know, handing out doobies at the track or something. But it was nothing yeah. like that. It was traces of amphetamine in your body. I should. Maybe I should have done it. <laughs> then I would have had the, the most out of it. No, I'm just, you know, no, no. Uh, yeah, I, I was um, the the week before that that uh, control in in Enram, I was in. Uh, uh, we we have an annual fest where our king has his birthday, and uh, yeah, people go out and party, and and I went out for a party, and yeah, I uh, did not pay uh, enough attention, and uh, I probably drank something where uh, amphetamine was 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 added to and uh, I didn't notice it and uh, yeah I was tested after the meeting on uh, values that are comparable to two sugar lumps in an Olympic swimming pool and uh, um, yeah you know uh, if you have ADD and you uh, you take Ritalin you also have amphetamine in your system but then you're allowed to because you have a medical uh, declarence so you know, it 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 was, yeah. The word doping is 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 simply a, a very heavy loaded word, yeah. yeah. And then uh, people think about uh, cyclists that are hanging on uh, on uh, on the on the bag of blood, uh, uh, trying to uh, to put more uh, more red blood cells into their system to uh, recover faster when they had a, a heavy ride. But you know, that's it, yeah. In, in this case, uh, yeah, it was fairly innocent, but with big consequences. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what I really want to, what I want everyone to understand who's listening is that mm-hmm. it's uh, it's something that can really uh, affect the way that people view you. Um, yeah, which mm-hmm. is it's just it's not it's not really fair, is it? I mean, up until that yeah. point, we were we thought of you as a world class racer we all in the UK remembered the way that you acted with the whole incident at Swingfield. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sent shockwaves because, you know, it cha- it can change your perception. And I don't want, and I, if nothing else from this interview, what I want people to realize is that it's an innocent mistake. Um, but you weren't mm-hmm. putting anybody in danger. No, of course not. No, no. <laughs> I, I even have, I have a video of that race. I, I also, I, I spoke with, with Mitch, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, uh, because at in, in at that meeting, uh, I think it was the f- second heat. I got off the start in the first turn, my uh, steel shoe uh, came off. It, it it so it was it was hanging on the on the on the leather strap and it was like kind of bungling behind my 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 left leg, and I think I was coming out of turn four in the first lap and I I. I was. I had the bike in balance, and and I put one uh, hand off my handlebars, and I just took the steel shoe from <laughs> from my left foot, 
and I tried to throw it on the inside of the track. I was eventually disqualified for that. But oh. I think when you are uh, when you are completely uh, um, uh, um, doped under of any substance, you probably will not be uh, be uh, in a state where you will be able to do uh, that. No. Uh, so, Definitely uh, not. But uh, obviously, as you said, it had massive implications, and it mm-hmm. must have been. You know, that was 2017, and we're now 2020, so we're three years on. It's it's obviously been a really tough time for you. Uh, yeah, and especially in the beginning, it was tough, huh? because uh, yeah, you you have uh, yeah, your whole life is evolving around uh, racing, grass track, and long track, and not only mine, also the life of, of other people. You know, my parents, my my. Uh, partner wife uh, what I know how to call it we're not married but we have uh, we we are officially uh, together yeah. uh, 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 you have your mechanics and uh, you have fans and uh, you have sponsors and then the you know people are are really uh, uh, invested yeah but they they also uh, scheduled in their lives to to uh, to help you or support you or do whatever yeah. to uh, and and for me that was for me personally that it was tough to uh, to uh, confront them with the fact that I was uh, tested positively on because of the uh, heavy load that that is uh, attached to that word and and also uh, the fact that uh, yeah, the, the, yeah, it, it makes you it make it makes you look bad huh? yeah, if, yeah, when you call your sponsor and say hey yeah, look what look what happened. Uh, you should hear. Uh, I was tested positively, yeah, and then uh, you have to explain the story uh, yeah. uh, uh, 50 times or something. So that was that was really tough. That was really tough. It was like somebody died or something, sure. and, and 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 it was a difficult process. But I think after that, you know. Uh, there's more to life than than uh, racing, and and even though uh, this is not a really nice way to not being able to race anymore, uh, it it did force me to to invest in in other things in life. Hey, and so my 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 uh, working career, uh, my family, my my friends, my uh, my future, hey, basically, yeah. because. Uh, well, uh, let's face the facts. When you are uh, involving your life around a, a sport that costs more money than it brings you, you know, is that a future? Yeah. And uh, uh, so, yeah, I think it also um, brought me a lot of good things. You know, I have a good job now. I have a nice uh, place where I live. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm happy to announce that uh, uh, we are we are uh, expecting our, our first child in August. <laughs> Congratulations! So, you know, thank you. Yeah. So you know, yeah. Of course, it's 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 terrible. Eh? And uh, um, yeah, you you wished that it didn't happen, but it happened. And uh, yeah, you can you cannot hide from it. Eh? You have to face it, and uh, you have to continue. Uh, with your life and and try to make the best out of it and i think i think i realized that uh, quite quickly uh, although the first six months were uh, it was i was a little bit uh, i was quite depressed about it yeah, yeah. yeah that's 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 true and uh, yeah mm. but but yeah on the other on yeah like i said i i uh, i think i got out of it stronger and uh I do miss the sport, uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm also quite glad that I, I 
had the time to to uh, uh, to invest in other things. And, and you know, Gerrit, at at that point in my career, I was also at a point where where I was thinking, do I still want this every going to the track every weekend, cleaning the bikes every month? You know, I had a full time job uh, next to my racing, so so. And all my vacation days of going to the racing uh, uh, on Monday evening, unloading the van and cleaning the bikes, Tuesday cleaning uh, the carburetors and then the clutch plates and changing the tires and then on Wednesday building up the bikes again and then on Thursday, I don't know, some other cleaning things and, and, and stuff to do, something was broken or so you were, you, you were really committed to the sport like, like uh, uh, like 100 percent yeah and and yeah you're like you're on the train and the train keeps on moving and you just have to get on get on with it hey eh? you just have to ride the train and then at the end of the season then uh, the, yeah, the train stops and you have some time for other things but yeah you know so so but i didn't want it to to, to turn out like this no, of, of course. course being able to race so so uh, I think I will. I will not uh, race uh, like like every weekend or, or two. I, I was not really a big fan of doing two meetings in a weekend. If the if the meetings were close to each other, then then yeah, then it, I I would consider it. But but hey, you also see guys uh, driving through the night uh, to get to uh, to a meeting the next day, and and I was not really a big fan of that. So. So uh, I never did that, but I think I will. I will. I will probably do uh, do less meetings than I did before. I think I did almost. I think 25 to 30 meetings mm. every season. I think it will be maybe 15 to 20. Yeah. Tops. The comeback is on. Basically, it's 2021. And... Yeah, def- definitely, definitely, definitely. I still have the bikes and and all the engines, and I I I, I don't think that uh, if if evolvement of the of the engines and 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 uh, the amount of of power that that that, that has that they have increased uh, the past three years is is uh, such a, a majestic way that uh, my engines are not uh, relevant anymore uh, in this time. So I think that there's still uh, the 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 material I, I I wrote at that time is is still quick enough to uh, compete in the top uh, in in. in right now but yeah I, I think I think we also have to uh, consider uh, if there will be many meetings left in, in after this whole crisis is gone because I think it will be tough for, for a lot of clubs to uh, to get back on their feet and, and organize again and then, uh, a lot of companies have been hurt uh, um, Companies that 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 sponsor uh, clubs or meetings and riders. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if if uh, if they're all willing to to uh, support uh, every everything again. Uh, so I I think it will be it will be a difficult difficult period next year yeah. for for the sport. Yeah, also taking in consideration, of course, that it's not a, a sport that is. Uh, uh, that draws a lot of attention in, in the media and in the press, and uh, in that way, there's not a lot of money uh, generated through the sport. So, so yeah, we we are really re- relying on 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 enthusiasts and uh, people that that 
love the sport basically to uh, for it to uh, to endure and survive yeah yeah it's uh it is a worry at the moment but it's sort of the not knowing i think that's the worst thing at the moment that nobody really knows what's going to happen but yeah we've no. we've talked a lot about it on the podcast about what's going to happen from here and um yeah it's very difficult to say i think that um the biggest i think the, the ones that are going to struggle the most are the ones that run the big high sort of high revenue meetings you know the the big european meetings and mm-hmm. um yeah it's easy enough to get a field and run a club meeting but um yeah it's a real real concern for go, going forward with the sport really but yeah yeah. Hopefully, Yannick, we'll uh, we'll we'll go back to some sort of normality because I know that lots of people are bursting to see you back on the track, and you must be bursting <laughs> to get back on the track as well. Um, yeah, I have I have been back on the speedway bike a few times. Yeah, uh, for a few practices. So yeah, that felt really good. That was really nice, yeah. and I'm looking forward to go back on the long track bike as well. But yeah, yeah, we will see what happens. Yeah, thank you very much, Yannick. It's been amazing talking to you. Um, our first world champion on the banter podcast okay thank you very much Yannick speak to you soon bye 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 so that was our interview with Yannick de Jong Um, obviously he'll be back next year in 2021 and we look forward to that we've got lots of uh, interviews in the pipeline ready for the next couple of episodes as well but I hope you enjoyed that Um, very honest account though Russell yeah very honest of Yannick Uh, quite openly discussing everything that's gone on over the last few years a lot of his uh, obvious ban etc obviously being a big name to get back into the sport if if we still have a sport like he says but uh yeah yeah very open very honest good interview gareth and it's uh it'll be good ben when if well when yannick gets back on it'll be good to see how he gets on it'll be interesting to see how he gets on yeah it will be um talented rider no doubt he'll uh he'll soon pick it up just like riding the bike isn't it yeah <laughs> Yeah, well, we wish Yannick all the best. Big thanks to him for joining us for that interview. It was great to catch up with Yannick. And uh, all new superstars coming soon on the, the Grassstrap Banter podcast for our Outside the Pegs interview. So make sure you keep, uh, keep subscribing, keep listening, because we've got plenty of interviews on the way. points I think is worth noting once again you'll watch that Dave Steer must be thinking well where do I go it's not as normal racing I've got to try and find my way through one indeed he's gone through the middle of them a brilliant ride from Dave Steer he's split them up completely and gone through the middle of Ken Lane and now he's gone on the inside of Roger Visa. a brilliant ride from Dave Steer so it's now time for our nostalgia section it was better in our day this is the segment where I asked the boys to come up with a rider or a list of riders from years gone by around a particular theme. And this week's particular theme is Lost Potential. So it is eight solos and six sidecars. So we're having a final of riders who gave up too soon. Now, we often see riders, very talented riders, come into the sport, light the sport up and then almost inexplicably vanish from the sport and uh, or, or give up or have a reason why that takes them away from the sport. Now, we're not looking for injuries, so hopefully you haven't got any injuries in your lists, boys, but there are certain riders that have just given up. So we're going to go around the table. We're going to have a solo final and a sidecar final, and we'll hear your lost potential finalists. So I think I'll start with Russell Little. Me. I'm going to go for the obvious one so that everyone can't take it away. Uh, Lewis Denham. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I had that one. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Everyone goes, yeah, I had that one, yeah. 
Yeah, really, really hear that one, and I want to get it in there early. Yeah. Really interesting point. No one can agree with that. Disagree with that, I should say. But I think um, it was injury force, wasn't it? Yeah, he had a uh, niggling yeah, shoulder, was... didn't he? Shoulder injury. Yeah, right. Yeah, it kept popping out, didn't it? I think. Yeah. I know Lewis dabbled on the on the international scene. Victories in Marmond, was that right? I think. Yeah, in the yeah, B class. Seven, he won the B class, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, I think he had the potential to go all the way though, in, in the well, certainly the European grass track and and potentially the world stage, didn't he? I mean, he, his merits in this country alone speaks volumes, and I think yeah, he could have gone all the way really. Yeah. So yeah, massive loss. Enormous talent, absolutely enormous talent. I remember when he was 15 and come into the sport, he was just instantly brilliant. I mean, he was great in it in the youth class as well. But uh, yeah, he was one of my eight as well, Russ. Yeah. Uh, next on my list, then I've gone for uh, Darren Rolfe. Yeah, ah. I thought Darren retired too early, to be honest. Um, he was a very good centre rider. Obviously, started dabbling with a bit of speedway as well, uh, riding for uh, Boston up at Kings Lynn. Um, but yeah, I think Darren could have probably gone a bit, bit further in the sport. Yeah, and he's Archie's his son, isn't he? That's correct. Yes. Mm. Uh, uh, next. I was just going to say, linking into that, I watched an amazing battle between Darren and Steve Dorr yes. the other day. I don't know if anyone watched that, but that was pretty yeah. well taken stuff. Uh, next on my list, I've gone for uh, Dave Ramsey. Okay. He's on my list as well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I've gone first. <laughs> uh, next on the list, I've got uh, Glenn Cunningham. Okay. Another one who retired quite early, really. Don't believe that was through injury. Could be wrong. Uh, Lee Conklin that'll be on Ben's list (laughs) (laughs) he's he's on my list as well (laughs) yeah Uh, and then um, I've I've picked a few different ones then Uh, Ryan Tolley he retired quite early I think he could have gone quite away yeah he came from one of of Bob's videos the other day at uh, Astra and then one that you've done in your uh one of your picture rounds on the quiz, uh, I think it was the opening week, Gareth. Um, we lost him as he hit the adults, which was uh, Lewis Lear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, my list is getting smaller and smaller, eh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a couple more that I've got. Um, just quick ones. Uh, I've gone for Richard Smith, Lee Street, and Jamie Rogers. And another one. Yeah, I had Jamie. <laughs> I had Jamie Rogers. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, I know, obviously, Lee moved to Australia and, obviously, Richard retired for uh, various reasons. Um, but I think Richard would have still been uh, at the front of the 350 class. Mm. Uh, and I'm sure Lee would have still been a prominent 250 rider as well. Mixing yeah. up with the youth. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, good choices. Right, OK, so we, he's taken a few of ours, Ben. So uh, what's your final looking like? Yeah, so um, I've got one, two, three. I've got four left, so 50% of the field. Mm. But Russell hasn't stolen. <laughs> uh, following on the theme of Lewis Lear, sort of coming up into the adults or just about to and then retiring. Um, another one that sort of in the same mould as Lewis was Ollie Rayson. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, a name we haven't talked about too often, but Ollie... He rode a, a Honda XL 250 in the intermediate class with some brilliant success. Um, it got me thinking the other day when I saw some old footage of him, actually. And then um, he, he gained the interest of Neil Copestake and had the prototype Jawa chassis and 250 engine. And he had some really good success in the, in the adult class at the 15-year-old. I think 
one particular result that stands out was at Torrey Hill. I think it was 2005. Might have been a little bit later, actually, whereby he beat, I think it was Tom Perry and Lee Street in a pretty good race. Um, so that that's one other rider to name. Um, he also dabbled on the speedway with, I think it was Kings Lynn in the conference or the National League. Mm. And then we lost him. Yeah. Not sure why, but yeah, good talent. Um, a rider that still rides on the shell, but we lost to the grass, although he, he started his racing days on the grass, was Josh Orty. Love to yeah. see back on, having a go on the grass after having sort of so much success in the youth racing. Josh Dingle, more recent times. Yeah, Josh has still got his bike, I think. I think he just just doesn't want to, doesn't really want to travel. I think it's the travelling, isn't it? I remember yeah. coming back from one of the sand aces and me and Rodney sat with them and Josh's dad sort of hinted that the travelling was sort of getting a bit too much for them back then. Yeah. yeah it's a Which shame. is a big shame, big shame. Yeah, he's a talented rider. Yeah, he is. A rider. Um, and then my last one was more recent retirement, Callum Walker. Yeah, yeah, big shame that Callum's gone. Yeah, hopefully it's just... Uh, a little break. I know he has sold the equipment, um, but yeah, nice family for us through and through. Really, I think it would have been good to see Callum stick on the grass a bit longer before he dabbled with the speedway. Yeah, uh, but yeah, hopefully we'll see him back again one day. Yeah, hopefully because he, he's a great rider and he's got certainly not got anywhere near his potential. I don't think so. Yep, so good, a good final. So yeah, most of well, four of mine have gone as well because Jamie Rogers, Lee Complin, Dave Rumsey. Uh, and Lewis Denham, I had, yeah. but... How was Dave when he retired? He must have been under 30. Yeah, he must have been. Yeah. Must have been under 30. I mean, his, his dad still is, uh, you know, yeah. still see his dad about, but, you know, I haven't seen Dave for a while. But, um, yeah, riders that I went for, uh, I went for uh, Simon Davey, who yeah. was real, really good rider from, from, yeah. from your centre, Russ. Just retired. I think he'd had enough. He rode a little bit of youth and then rode in the adults and was a decent rider and then just sort of packed it all in. Uh, then I've thought about uh, Joe Screen, I think. Joe Screen packed up too early. I would have loved Joe to have done about five years on the grass when he packed up the speedway. But but when he packed up the speedway, he packed up the lot and that was it. And we never sort of saw him. But I still think that Joe was possibly, he had the potential to be the best uh, grass track and long track rider that we'd ever seen. But his attention went to the speedway. Um, but yeah, like I say, when he packed up the speedway, I thought there was a potential he might have, he might have gone to the grass track and done a few seasons on the grass, a bit like Calvin Tatum did before him and a few others have done, but it wasn't to be. But interestingly, when you look at Joe's Instagram, he doesn't very often post old speedway stuff. He is all about the grass track. And I know that his dad's often on uh, grass track banter. He's often on grass track banter, posting different things as well. Uh, Joe Joe loves his grass track, loved his grass track, but we just didn't see him enough, really. He's um, he's, he's usually at the Cheshire meetings, yeah, spectating. Yeah, he's, he's, I think he gave up to launch a business, didn't he? Right. Um, they got a dog boarding centre, I believe. Ah, uh, okay. Which obviously is going to be predominantly over weekends, isn't it? So, I think that's why the uh, speed was and the racing was put up. But yeah, it would have been great to see a little bit like Tony Atkins done, um, sort of finish out their careers on the ground where they started. Yeah, I mean, Tony's older than Joe as well, so perhaps there might still be a chance. I think Joe's about 40, must be in mid-40s, 
mate, perhaps late 40s by now. So maybe he'll be back, who knows? But then I thought about, like you did a little bit, about youth riders that raced in the youth and then uh, sort of never made it into adults. Uh, from my neck of the woods, Jack Dummett was a really good rider coming up through the youth ranks. Um, he now helps out Henry Atkins quite a bit, I think, Jack. But I would love to have seen how Jack would have got on in the adults, but it never was It was never to be. Not sure why, really. I think he's just sort of... He he raced a lot of youth with his brother Leo, and, and it never sort of happened. But shame, really, because I think Jack would have been a really good rider. And then one other youth rider who's actually... Uh, we could probably argue has gone on to better things is Edmund Best. Yes. Uh, yeah. Now, Edmund's dad, Jeremy, was a... a a referee, I think, wasn't he? Or he was definitely a rider. No, I'm thinking of um, Robbie Perks, I think. Yeah, that's right. Um, but Edmund Best was a brilliant grass track rider. Uh, really, really fast. He used to wear the Dennis the Menace jumper when he raced. Yeah. Uh, really fast. Obviously, if he'd have gone up into adults, he would have done all sorts of, uh, would have won all sorts of things. But he actually went road racing in the end. Uh, and he's fairly successful on the road, I think, from what I can gather. Yeah, he rides the... Uh... The 250s, doesn't he? The Moto3 um, at the British Championship um, yeah. level in the Moto3 discipline. Oh, riding uh... against Shardy Penfold, obviously, the last couple of years. And that. But yeah, he's uh, he's he's getting further up the results as well in, in that now. I follow his um, his progress on Facebook. He's grown a bit my, when I last saw him, right? Does he still <laughs> wear the Dennis the Menace jumper? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone black and green now. Oh. I don't think that's the done thing in road racing, Gareth. Hear me. Well, maybe when he comes back, when he comes back to grass track, back to his roots one day, we'll see the jumper back. I yeah. think there's probably a long list, though, isn't there, that we lost from, from the youth to the adults. Uh, another one that I was thinking about was uh, Joe Haynes. Yeah, Joe. Yeah. There's a few, there are a few, aren't there? I mean, Nathan Stoneman. I spoke to Nathan for the yeah, first time Nathan. at Kings Lynn this year. For the first time for years, I'd spoke to Nathan. And uh, he was he was a good grass track rider, but obviously went speedway and, and that was it. And there's a load of them like that. I remember sort of oh, Connor Coles, I think it was, used to race a lot of grass. And yeah, lots of them just don't just don't end up racing in the grass. It's yeah. a bit of a problem. Uh, a couple more that spring to mind from sort of your neck of the woods, Gareth. Obviously, uh, Chesney King was another one. He never really made the transition, did he? He sort of a couple of meetings here and there, wasn't there? But he never really stuck at it. No. Yeah, he's another one. Yeah, there's a lot from down here, actually. There's quite a few. Uh, Connor Coles was one, but there was another rider, I can't think of his name, who now rides Speedway uh, to a fairly decent level. Oh, but I can't think of what he was... Oh, it'll come back to me. <laughs> come back to me at some point. Well, while I'm thinking about that, should we think about the sidecars? Yeah, all right. We're going off topic a lot here, aren't we? Yeah. Right. Uh, we've got Luke, we've got Luke, haven't we? Oh, Sorry, yeah. Luke. Luke, you threw a name in the hat that none of us had thought of. Yeah, I threw a couple in. Uh, Georgie Wood was one. Um, yeah. Obviously did a bit of grass success in the, um, especially in the 250s, I remember him especially. Um, and Steve Braidford was another one. I remember when I first come back to grass track and watching Steve and he was absolutely flying. So, um, yeah, they were the two two names I had. Steve's uh, Steve's dabbled in a bit of pit bike speedway, hasn't he, I believe? He, he has indeed, yes. <laughs> I'll tell you another rider who, going back a few years, who was a brilliant solo rider who never really, uh, he went sidecars in the end, was Ian Lee Amys. Yes, yeah. He, uh, he could, lots of people think he could have gone a long way on a solo. but He was uh, good with 250, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, you can tell he's got the style because he's been doing a bit of pit bike speedway and he looks 
he's quick on that, isn't he? Yeah, he's no fool, is he? Yeah, no fool on a pit boy. That's what he's doing. Yeah. Well, here's your sidecars then. So sidecars for people that have that retired sort of prematurely, really. So Ben, who have you got? I've got James and Dave Goods. Oh, good shout. Shout that. Um, I've got Mark Edwards and Nick Waters. Yeah, that's one of mine actually. <laughs> James Rogers and Damien James. Oh, there goes one of mine. <laughs> I've got Trevor Heath and Yeah. Kieran. Trevor's on the comeback though. I've got Mike Day. Okay. Mike's saying he's starting to make a good bit of progress before yeah. we're in. Uh, and I've got another one on the comeback trail I've got Gary Shearer. Yeah. Uh, with a reserve of Jamie Bree. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think that uh, Gary Shearer, I don't think, has retired. I think he just never seems to get a consistent run at it, does he? He never seems to be, be able to get into a groove of it all, really. He's really fast, but, um, yeah, hopefully he's got Ryan Barker on, so hopefully that'll find him a little bit of consistency. Yeah, good crew. So, Russell, if you did you say you hadn't done any sidecars? No, no, I've got sidecars as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to... I've, I've, I have uh, mixed the match though. I've got 500s and 1000s. Okay. All right. Um, and I'm going to wipe a few of yours out here, I reckon. Okay. So I'm going to open up with uh, Steve Jewison. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, he definitely retired too soon, which he uh, alluded to in the uh, interview the other week. Yeah, he did. Um, which he didn't really think about, actually, until you listened to the interview. And, yeah, it's quite a few years ago now, wasn't it? But like he said... You know, people like Robin that are still going now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think, yeah. So, number one, yep, Steve Dewison. Like I said, I did have James Rogers. John Halsey. Okay. I think John John probably still had a good few years left on the grass. Uh, Matt Tyrrell. Yeah, Matt's coming back on the speedway, I think. But, yeah, yeah I agree. He was on my sort of secondary list. Uh, and then uh, I went five on the sidecars. Um, recent one, which obviously we know the reasons why, but uh, Simon Beard. Mm-hmm. Still think Simon had a lot to give. Yeah. And uh, went back into the early 2000s, um, Tony Stark. Yeah. I yeah, I considered Tony because I've got a 500 list as well. And I did consider Tony. He was a great 500 cycle rider, but only rode for about five years. I think then... That's right, yeah. Sort of got into looking after his son, Paul, and getting Paul going on the speedway, I think. Yeah, which I imagine was probably one of the uh, reasons for John as well, obviously, with... Um... Danny. Danny, yeah, Danny obviously yeah. been with quite a while now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was my uh, that was my list. Okay. Did you have anyone, Luke, on your sidecars? No. <laughs> All right then. So I uh, I had Mark Edwards, like, and Ben had Mark Edwards. Um, I also had Richard Piggott, uh, and I talk about Richard Piggott a lot because he was probably my favourite when I was growing up, and he gave up way too soon, in my opinion. I think he had plenty of plenty more in him he went to 500 side cars initially and then and then gave it all up uh kenny hamill i think kenny was just on the brink of doing something really special and then he he uh emigrated to new zealand uh he's racing again now but obviously on the speedway now not on the grass um i also have rob cameron and most people now know rob as the the man behind 151s but rob actually gave up grass track after a few years and went road racing but he was a brilliant rider um and smurf smith and i've got uh shane baker who was another really good 
real hard rider. In fact, I had Shane Baker and his brother Martin Baker, both of them real good riders, but Shane was the one I chose. Uh, and also I had Jamie Bree as well, Ben, because I think Jamie could have been a really good top rider if he'd carried on, but uh, other sort of pressures got in the way and, and he never sort of reached his full potential either, I don't think. But yeah, so there we go. Uh, that crash at Collier Street. Dennis was horrendous, wasn't it? It was awful, that crash. Yeah, that was a bad one. And uh, yeah, Ben Whitelam on the back of him that day, of course. Yeah, that was probably the reason. Got shot across. <laughs> <laughs> Ben's a, ben. <laughs> Ben's a listener. He'll, he would have heard that. Ben's a keen listener. No, that's why I said it. I'm going yeah. to go. <laughs> He's, uh, yeah, it was a shame that was that that all finished because Jamie, I, it was good times racing alongside Jamie and and, uh, and Ben and then later on Mark Truscott. But all good things come to an end, I suppose. I'll just very quickly go through my 500 sidecars. I've got Paul Miller, who I think gave up 500 sidecars too quick. Steve Kenchington, Andy Hopkins, Clive Willis, Wayne Reed. Uh, and uh, Alan Morgan. Uh, and then just so I don't upset people, I've got a left-hand sidecars as well. And I went, <laughs> I went Andy Andy Pack, uh, Luke Patchell, Neil Owen, Barry Gear, Richard Webb, and Andrew Bear Evans. So there we go. There, Those are our gave up too soon finals and it's just always a shame when you hear that people have given up racing but we do realize it's a massive commitment it's something i've never been able to commit to no matter how much i love the sport it's a huge commitment to keep your bike running and get yourself uh, into uh, a competitive status so uh, big respect to those riders we wish we'd seen you a little bit more maybe we will one day but yeah good finals all round boys well done thank you gareth <laughs> It wasn't bad off the cuff, was it? No. <laughs> so that's almost it for episode 12 of the Grass Track Banter podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed listening to some of our views uh, and our reviews of the state of things at the moment. So we always end with just a little bit of a little bit of fun at the end. And this week we've obviously we've had movies and we've been sat indoors watching the movies. I've exhausted the movie collection and now I've moved on to the Netflix TV show. So what we're going to do is start our own Grasstrack TV network to support people through the rest of the lockdown, but we're going to need some shows. So, what shows can we have on our TV or Grasstrack Banter TV network? Now, I've got a few, but I do know that there's been a little bit of trouble getting the homework done this week from a certain uh, few in the group. So, we'll go round and we'll see what everybody's got. But I know that Ben's got a couple. Uh, so, Ben, you can get us started with one of yours. Uh, okay, I've gone for uh, Downton Abbey Radley. <laughs> I can't believe I never thought of that one. Or Pedro, she's now. Yeah, that's right. Okay, I've got a uh, better call Saul Bully. <laughs> uh, the original Lee Coronation Street. <laughs> I had that one. Yeah, I had that as well. <laughs> okay, I, I've got I'm a celebrity. Get me out of Dave Steer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Hopefully Claire uh, likes that one. <laughs> I've got Marcella Gerhard. Okay. What's that programme? Oh, it's some uh, lady's programme. Okay. All right, then I've got uh, next one, somebody that's a bit poorly at the moment, so we wish him all the best, but I've got Saved by the Carl Bell. Yeah, <laughs> very good. Uh, my last one, I'm afraid, gents. I've got Gavin Horsborough and Stacey. <laughs> Gavin Horsborough? Wow. There's a name from the past. There was there was a rider 
that I got myself into a bit of trouble with on the uh, the old grass track forum called Stacy. I don't know if you remember the topic, but um, I didn't realise Stacy was a male, and uh, <laughs> you can probably gather where this is going. But I created a post saying how good it was to see another a female competing, giving Terry a run for her money, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was correctly put in my place. But I can't remember his surname, but he's a very quick rider. He rode at um, rode at Warden Farm actually. Ah, oh, I can't remember the surname, but. Yeah, Stacy. I don't remember that. There's a Stacy oh. Stell, I think, that races the sidecars. But yeah, oh, there's yeah. um, yeah. a lot of people think that uh, Lindsay Vaughan is a girl. <laughs> Lindsay's a, a a big bloke, actually. He works Yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't want to argue with him. <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> and uh, Jody Hodgson as well. Some people have asked if Jody Hodgson's a girl, and I'm like, no, he definitely isn't a girl. <laughs> yeah. Um. True. Right. Last couple that I've got then. Um, I've got Tony can't cook, Harland won't cook. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. Yeah, that's brilliant. I've got, uh, she's packed up now, but Megan Holtby City. And yeah. my last one is Home and Away in Westaway. Oh, dear, <laughs> oh, dear Gareth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, you put some serious thought into this. <laughs> your, uh, your lunch breaks. Oh. Well, because I'm not at school, I'm giving myself lunch breaks now, so they he's tend to. He's had a he's had <laughs> a little to rat out a bit, I reckon. <laughs> we need to um, we need to come up with our next game, so I can have a bit more time to prepare. Okay, well, if you've got any suggestions for our next one, then do send them send them through to us, grassstrapbanterpodcast at outlet dot com, or send in your TV shows for the Grassstrap Banter TV network. Obviously, it's just for fun, and we don't name you if you don't want to be named, but you've got to take credit for some of these some of these great ideas. So that's about it, really. So big thank yous going out to all of our listeners. We are, as I said before, getting very close to 5,000 listens. In fact, I think when we release this one, we usually get... uh, I've got a a vague idea of how many we get each time, so we'll probably go over 5,000 listens this time. So you are listening to a podcast that has got 5,000 listens. So that's that's big news. Uh, big thanks, as always, to Paul Morphy at Custom Clothing Impress Promotions for doing all of our uh, hoodies and T-shirts and hats and things like that. And if you want your team wear, look no further than Paul Morphy at Custom Clothing Impress Promotions. I've seen that he's been doing a little bit in this time at the moment. Somebody that we haven't mentioned for a while, big thank you to Roddy of Tax Return uh, and Adam Cooper-Smith, who organised that for us. They do our theme tune, um, and I haven't mentioned Roddy for a while, so thanks to Roddy of Tax Return. And all of the people getting in touch with us. This is your podcast as much as it is ours. And we want you to make sure uh, that you're included as much as possible. Make sure you check out the uh, online virtual British Masters on the Grassstrap Banter Facebook page. If you haven't already, make sure that every day you're voting for your favourite rider. Uh, And make sure that you join us for the quiz on Saturday. The virtual beer tent quiz that will be taking place on Saturday. Uh, The only downside is you have to look at my ugly mug all night. uh, Particularly at the moment because my hair is getting ridiculous. Uh, And every week I get a little bit of stick for my hair. But it's getting to a point where I might have to go freestyle on it. Just like you boys have. But we'll have to wait and see. So thanks, boys. Well done for another excellent episode. Any last regrets? I, uh, my regret is I didn't get any more TV-themed show names. Well, there's always the next episode, mate. There's always the next episode. Well, thank you very much for listening. Uh, hopefully we will see you very soon in a farmer's field somewhere where we will actually be able to uh, race our motorbikes. But thank you very much and goodbye. See you later. Bye. Woo! Bye-bye.